if you have your Bible, you want to turn to Jude and verses 20 and 21 today. I'll actually only be preaching from verse 20, but I'll read both verses. And it begins, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the book of Jude. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us from it today how we might build ourselves up on our most holy faith and how we might pray in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thus far in the book of Jude, we have been thoroughly warned and informed about false teachers. Jude told us that they crept into the church unnoticed, that they were marked out for condemnation. And then he described their ungodly character, their corrupt ways in detail. Last week, we saw that the ultimate reason why these ungodly men are so sensual and why they cause division in the church is because they are without the spirit. Jude, in this epistle, has given us many helpful lessons on how to discern uh, these ungodly false teachers when they secretly slip into the church. And now, beginning in verse 20, he is instructing those of us who know the Lord how we can develop uh, in our own uh, godly character. We would say, in this case, the best defense is a good offense. If we are growing in grace, growing in the knowledge of God, growing in Christian character, then we are going to be much less likely to be led astray by uh, false teachers and false teaching that's so prevalent in our day. It is those who don't take seriously the admonitions of verses 20 and 21 who are the most vulnerable to false teaching. Nominal Christians who aren't fully committed to the life of discipleship in Jesus are easy prey for the devil. Untaught believers who are not grounded in the truths of the word of God will not have the discernment they need to sort out truth from error. They have a feeble grasp of the faith. They're in no position to contend for it. The church of Jesus Christ today needs men and women who are strong in the faith, who are able to contend for it, because in our day, the forces of evil have gained much ground. So the church needs men and women who will be soldiers, who will fight. The church needs fewer spectators who merely watch from the sidelines. We need soldiers. We need contenders. And in order to become a contender for the faith in the evil times that we're in, the first thing we must do is to build uh, to build yourselves up, as Jude says, in your most holy faith. He begins, he says, but you, beloved. This is a contrast, meant to be a contrast between us, believers, and the false believers, false teachers who have crept into the church. So if you're a believer, you're beloved. Beloved, loved by God. Loved by fellow believers. 
And Jude, you see, has already commanded us to contend earnestly for the faith. And you and I will improve in our ability to contend for the faith only to the degree that we are building ourselves up on the faith. As in verse 3, Jude is referring to the objective truths of the faith derived from Holy Scripture. He calls it a most holy faith. It is a most holy faith because it was inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, and it leads to holiness in the lives of those who are built up by it. Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so the word of God is the solid foundation for every believer and on it alone are we to build our lives. So to build yourself up on the faith implies uh, a continual feeding on the word that our soul uh, souls may be nourished and edified. Thomas Manton, the Puritan writer, in his excellent commentary on Jude, says it is not sufficient to be established or grounded in the faith, but we must daily increase and grow more and more therein. Colossians 2 says we are to be rooted and built up in him. We're to be established in the faith and abound in it. Now, physically, most of us stopped growing a long time ago, but spiritually, we never stop growing or we never should stop growing. Think of your Christian life uh, like a house that is being built. Uh, And in the Christian life, you see our house is never finished. You know, if you're in the building process and you just stop building a house, soon it will become dilapidated. And and even if you're finished building a house, a, a literal physical house, as soon as you stop maintaining it, it will uh, become uh, dilapidated. It'll be in a bad way. So in the Christian life, you have to keep working, keep building on it throughout your life. But the confidence we have is that the Lord is the one building the house. Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Scripture also encourages us that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. So the Lord builds us up as we grow in the knowledge of his holy word, the Bible. And that means First of all, you and I must continue to read Scripture. So are you reading the Word of God on a daily basis? And have you ever read through the entire Bible? A daily uh, reading program is a good start in the building process. But then we move on to studying the Bible. Uh, You know, it seems to me that Bible study in our day has fallen on hard times. Uh, And the best way to study the Bible, uh, we certainly can do it individually, but is to be in a group or or a class. So I would ask, are you involved in a Bible study group of some kind? We just started a new uh, Sunday school class, a study of the book of Ezekiel. And it's it's an exciting thing to to get into a book uh, that we're normally not very familiar with. And so there's so much to learn. Uh, in in the Bible that uh, we need to continue studying it uh, throughout our lives. One uh, 
old preacher from a, another generation said, I, he said, I have the notion that since God gave us 66 books in the Bible, that he meant for us to study all 66 of them. Not John 3.16 or John 14 over and over. He said, how many Bible classes go back over the same teaching, studying only the most familiar books of John or Romans? So if you're going to build yourself up in the most holy faith, you must have the total word of God. And I am thankful that uh, our elder uh, who teaches Sunday school regularly uh, teaches on a lot of the books of the Old Testament that, that we commonly don't read or study. And that way we are covering more and more ground in, in Scripture that most Christians never even study. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul said, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And, of course, recently I'm preaching, uh, preached through the book of Philemon and the book of Jude. Almost finished with that book. The point is, there's always more in Scripture for us to study. And in order to build ourselves up in the faith, we do well to study the entirety of Scripture. We'll never run out of building material for our faith. 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, uh, that you may grow thereby. And then Hebrews chapter 5 urges us to move on from milk to solid food. Maturity in the faith requires that we take in not only the easiest and most uh, pleasant parts of scripture, but also the parts that require us to think, to meditate, and uh, to study until we understand those portions. You see, to thoroughly build ourselves up in the word of God gives us the truth uh, that we so desperately need uh, in order to contend uh, for the faith. So we need to be built up in the old, as well as the New Testament. We need to be built up in the knowledge of the law as well as the gospel, in the historical narratives as well as the doctrinal or didactic portions of Scripture. We need the poetry of Scripture. And we also need the wisdom literature. We need Genesis, Revelation, and everything in between. We need it all, and we need it all the time. So are you growing? Are you being built up by the Word? You may have heard the quote by C.H. Spurgeon, which says, A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Well, that statement certainly assumes that uh, not just that you're reading the Bible, but that you read it, that you're drawing near to Christ as you study it. It assumes that you're putting its truths into practice, that you're doing what it says. And, and if that's true, and if your Bible is falling apart because you're seeking Christ, you're seeking to do what it says, uh, then certainly the Lord will strengthen you. He will build you up. And, and so we need to be diligent to build ourselves up in the most holy faith, and then we'll be ready to contend for the faith. But secondly, from verse 20, in order to contend for the faith in a wicked age, we must pray. We must pray. Um, you know, in a larger catechism, we... Number 154, we read the question, what are the outward means whereby God communicates to us the benefits of 
Christ's mediation? And the answer is the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to his church the benefits of his mediation are all his ordinances, but especially the word sacraments and prayer. So we've just talked about the word. That's the primary means of grace. And now we move on to prayer. Another uh, primary means of grace. And Jude says that believers should be praying in the Holy Spirit. Um, we're always talking about the word and prayer. Uh, but but the question is, are we actually studying the word? Are we in the word? And are we actually spending time in prayer? And are we uh, not just praying, but are we praying in the Holy Spirit? This is a, a specific uh, type of prayer, and really it's the only type of prayer we ought to pr be praying. Um, in Ephesians 6.18, the Apostle Paul, in the section on the armor of God, urges believers to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So, it, really, we, we are to do everything in the Spirit, if you will. Uh, but, but prayer needs to be in the Spirit. And the question is, then, uh, what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? I would say, first, let's think about what it doesn't mean, what it does not mean to pray in the Spirit. It does not mean that you're going to pray in tongues. Uh, some groups teach that that's what it means, that to pray in the Spirit, uh, pray you pray in tongues. But uh, really, we should understand this. Praying in the Spirit to mean that we're praying in the power of the Spirit, by the leading of the Spirit, and according to the will of God. Not praying in tongues. That's not the point. Praying the Spirit is certainly much more than bringing a shopping list to God and reciting it back to Him. Well, God already knows what we need before we ask. And certainly He wants to, to make, make our needs known to Him in prayer, but... Uh, what God wants most of all is for us to fully engage our hearts with him when we pray, not simply to go through lists of requests as if we were informing him of what he doesn't know. And of course, as I said, bringing our petitions to God is part of prayer, but it's possible to bring our petitions to God without praying in the Spirit. So notice that just as Jude mentions building yourselves up, in your most holy faith. Now he mentions that we're to pray in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is the spirit of holiness. So you would think that to pray in the Holy Spirit has something to do with holiness. And I think it first has to do with an awareness that when we pray, we're coming to God who is holy. He is holy Holy, holy, as Isaiah said, as as I as Isaiah uh, heard uh, the uh, angelic beings proclaim. Our God is so holy that His eyes are too pure to look upon sin with approval. He is too pure to look upon sin with anything other than utter disgust and detestation. So. When we therefore come to this holy God, we need to come with humility, reverence, and repentance. We, we need to enter his presence with reverence and awe, with an awareness of our need of cleansing and our, an awareness of our need of Christ. To pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray in such a way that we are focused on God himself. 
coming to give him worship and praise, not merely seeking to get what we want. So to pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray according to the pattern also that our Lord gave us in the Lord's Prayer. We come as children to a Father, our Father who art in heaven. We come with a desire to hallow or to honor his name. We come seeking first the kingdom of God and a desire to know and to do his will. And then we'll be ready to ask for daily bread. That that is our daily needs. And then we need to be careful to ask for forgiveness or cleansing of our debts with a willingness to forgive others. And then to pray that we would be delivered from temptation and from evil. To pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray in dependence upon him as you pray. Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. So to pray in the Holy Spirit means that our prayers are moved and guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prompts us to pray. Every uh, inclination to pray comes from him. He gives us a desire to pray. And when he does, then we respond by praying. And when we pray, the things that we pray for then are going to be shaped and determined by the Spirit. Uh, One scholar writes that the Holy Spirit is the great helper of our prayers. He prompts, he enables, and he empowers us in prayer. And remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 14. Jesus said, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. So you will know that you are praying in the Spirit when your prayers are full of Christ. You'll realize your need of Christ for cleansing, your need of Christ as your mediator uh, between you and your Heavenly Father. You will think of Christ in your prayers. You will be full of love and gratitude for all he's done for you. In short, Spirit-filled prayers will be Christ-centered prayers. If we're not praying in the Spirit, then by default, we're going to be praying in the flesh. Praying in the flesh is when we pray in our own strength, in our own wisdom. It's when we ask for things that will merely gratify our flesh. We pray in the flesh when we think we'll be heard because we've spent a long time in prayer or because we've used many words in prayer. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 7. He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So don't pray like the Gentiles. Uh, Pray sincerely and earnestly. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones noted that the Spirit is a spirit of life as well as truth. And the first thing that he always does is to make everything living and vital you see he's going if you pray in the holy spirit he will make your prayers and your life of prayer living and vital and martin lloyd jones said of course there's all the difference in the world between the life and liveliness produced by the spirit and the imitation produced by people so Do you have the real thing or do you have the imitation? We need, the church needs more prayer in the Holy Spirit. Not perfunctory saying of prayers, but spiritual communion with God. Bringing to him every need and every difficulty assured 
that he waits in grace to meet our needs and assist us in our difficulties. Praying in the Holy Spirit happens when we are walking in the Spirit. And one preacher said that when Christ is first in the soul and the heart is finding its delight in him, the Holy Spirit will himself give us the petitions that God delights to grant. I mean, a scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, what what is prayer? The larger and shorter catechism both answer that question. The larger catechism says prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit. And so we always say in, at the end of our prayers in Jesus' name, but when we are praying, are we thinking and realizing how much we need the help of the Holy Spirit? So as you pray, rely on his help. Ask for his help. That maybe should be the first thing we pray as we begin a time of prayer is to say, Holy Spirit, help me to pray. Pastor Jason Meyer writes that when we pray in the flesh, we're pushing the prayers forward. While in the spirit, we feel caught up in the way the spirit carries the prayer forward. It's like riding a wave at the beach. If you've ever done that, once you catch the wave, it, it carries you forward toward the shore. And all you have to do is just maintain your position. You don't have to do anything. Uh, the wave carries you. And so, too, when you begin praying in the Spirit, you, you are riding the powerful wave of the Spirit. And He carries you along into this vital experience we call prayer in the Spirit. Again, to quote Jason Meyer, he said, We realize then that we are in God's presence speaking to God. The Spirit illuminates your mind, moves your heart, and grants a freedom of utterance and liberty of expression. Prayer is something we all know we should do more of. Prayer is also something we all realize we should be better at. If you want to get better at prayer, it will only be by the help of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said that praying in the Spirit has three aspects. And so think about these three things. First of all, admitting our inability. Second, enjoying a living communion with God. Third, pleading the promises of God with boldness and assurance. So first of all, admit your inability. Confess that you don't know how to pray as you ought. And plead for God's Spirit to teach you. And then secondly, enjoy communion with the Lord. The Lord says, be still and know that I am God. I believe that communion with God ought to be the chief part of our prayers. And then finally, prayer in the Spirit is going to happen. It happens when we begin to pray with boldness and assurance. And that's the kind of prayer and praying that we need today, especially in light of our adversary, the devil. It's prayer in the Spirit that overcomes the devil. It's prayer in the Spirit that ushers in victory over the ungodliness and evil of our day. It's prayer in the Spirit that enables us to contend earnestly for the faith and to exercise discernment over the evil and the false teaching that we find so prevalent in our day. We need both the Word of God to be built up in it. We also need to pray in the Holy Spirit. Next week we will see in verse 21 
that we also need to keep ourselves in the love of God and to look for the mercy of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy word. Thank you for this portion. There's one verse, verse 20 of, of the book of Jude. So teach us, Lord, how we might build ourselves up in the faith. I pray that we'll have a renewed sense of our need of the word of God and a renewed sense of our need for prayer. But Lord, we need your Holy Spirit both to understand the word of God and to enable us to pray uh, according to what we've been taught in Scripture. We thank you for hearing our prayers today. And may we leave here changed, uh, committed to doing what we've learned in Jesus' name. Amen.